I'm novelist Sherry Todd Bayshore, and this is Mystery Podcast. Today is the third chapter of my 2018 novel, Year of the Dog, a suspense thriller that's actually a sequel to The Count of Balpate, another suspense thriller I posted in June. Chapter 3. What is that? Cleo sliced cold chicken into strips to set on top of their Caesar salad. This is the personal journal of a retired teacher by the name of Lois Walsh. Lois Walsh is, or maybe was, best friend of Claire's Aunt Sarah. Claire brought this with her for me to read. Do you want white wine or beer to go with our dinner salad? And why do you have a personal journal belonging to Lois Walsh? Hank answered his wife's first question first. Do we have corn muffins or garlic bread to go with our salad? Corn muffins. Beer, then. Hank picked up a tray of plates and cutlery, then followed his wife out of the kitchen patio doors to their screened porch. Lois Walsh is the missing childhood friend of Claire's Aunt Sarah. Missing? Oh, so that's why Claire wanted to meet with you this morning. Hank nodded as he poured a can of beer into a chilled glass mug. Cleo dished up her salad, then split a warm corn muffin and began to spread butter on both halves. If someone Claire knows has gone missing, doesn't she still have contacts in the FBI? I realize she's leaving the sheriff's office soon, too, but couldn't some other police department help investigate as well? Hank placed a generous helping of salad on his plate. Claire's Aunt Sarah originally did call Claire after filing a formal missing persons report. She was worried and thought the local steamboat sheriff's office might need some assistance, but that was four days ago, before the personal journal arrived in Aunt Sarah's mailbox. Cleo held her wine glass just above her plate. Okay, so the Steamboat Springs police haven't seen this journal. Not yet. Hank stabbed a strip of chicken with a piece of romaine lettuce. And having started to read this journal from the back, I can understand why Claire is being cautious. Claire knows this journal is material evidence. However, as a formal FBI agent and one-term Estes Park Sheriff, Claire also understands what an aggressive network news producer could turn this journal information into if it was leaked. Cleo's glass came closer to her lips, then she put it back on the table beside her plate. What the hell did Lois Walsh do that a former FBI agent needs help from a retired history professor? Hank washed down a sizable bite of warm corn muffin with a swallow of cold beer. It's not so much what she did as who she did it with that could send politically charged religious shrapnel in a multitude of directions. Not again. Cleo took a swallow of her wine. Are you and Claire about to get involved in another controversial secret? If Lois Walsh's journal is factual, there's no new controversy. There's a huge new scandal. Damn, we just started to get our lives and our privacy back from the fallout of the Count of Balpate case. Scene change. Claire's instincts had merit. A retired history professor could ask the kind of questions to the kind of people necessary under the pretext of research for a new book. As a former FBI agent, especially one who had investigated the Balpate murders, Claire couldn't ask directions to a bakery without causing media curiosity. Thanks to Google and Bing, Dr. Rule began preliminary research without leaving his office above the garage. 
however still aware of his own recent brush with media attention and agencies that monitored certain research criteria he kept his initial curiosity limited to tourist websites the chamber of commerce website for steamboat springs colorado had very efficiently listed all local churches currently there were three catholic churches in steamboat springs in 1963-1964, when Claire's Aunt Sarah and her friend Lois Walsh were high school seniors, there was only one Catholic church, St. Martin's. Hank found nothing in the county records that listed any information about St. Martin's except its tax-exempt status. There were legal property descriptions with property utility easements, original construction blueprints, and some sporadic renovation plans. Since neither Sarah nor Lois had been members of the Catholic Church, Hank went searching for how Lois might have met her mystery man. Her journal described him as a student who left the Air Force. That explained why he was older, but not why he was a student working at St. Martin's Church in 1963 and 1964. The local newspaper, the Steamboat Pilot, had since changed its name to Steamboat Today. Regardless, the online archives of earlier years were a treasure chest of local social history. The weekly society pages detailed events held for all seasons. There were church picnics, school dances and hayrides, community barbecues, business-sponsored toboggan and ski races. No matter what happened, the local newspaper had covered it all. After two days of diligent researching, Hank noticed that local churches often banded together to offer combined community services, and the basement of St. Martin seemed to host the greatest number of events because it was the largest of Steamboat's churches. Scene change. All four of Hank and Cleo's boys arrived late Sunday afternoon to stay overnight so they could help their parents set up for the annual Labor Day barbecue. Every year, they set up a long table inside the screened porch that became the best buffet location for food to keep insects from being part of the menu. The patio, partially shaded by a pergola, was staged with coolers of ice and two bar areas, one for non-alcoholic beverages and one for alcoholic beverages. Multiple folding chairs and tables set for four or six guests were scattered beyond the brick patio out on the lawn, but under the shade of mature aspen branches. In past years, Cleo's family had always arrived 30 to 40 minutes later than the time requested, except for this year. This year, Hank told his family one time, and Cleo's family an earlier time, which meant everyone arrived when all the food was ready. Claire and Ken Gage had been the first non-family guests to arrive. Hank greeted them and then took Claire aside. When everyone else is settled and busy stuffing their faces, I need to share what I found so far. An hour later, host and hostess were able to sit at a table set for four with Claire and Ken. Hank's wife and the Estes Park guests had full plates, but Hank only sipped a chilled beer. Where does a little person like you put all that food? Ken Gage was truly impressed by the cooked ribs, coleslaw, potato salad, and hot dog on Cleo's plate. I have a very steep set of stairs in my store, and it seems I spend a great deal of time retrieving something on the very floor that I'm not, Claire laughed. She's not exaggerating, Ken. I've actually walked up those stairs. Cleo is half my size, and she's always been able to out-eat me, but I'm the one who gains weight. Hank scanned the rest of their table groups of friends and guests. 
Only our boys could out-eat Cleo, but then they ate so much growing up we thought we'd need to buy a personal fridge for each of them. Cleo rolled a bite of hot dog to one side in her mouth. You're not being entirely accurate, you know. You don't eat as much at one sitting because you eat all day. Ken shook his head. I'd forgotten how much I missed the banter between the two of you. We shouldn't let so many months pass from now on between visits. Claire washed down a portion of her potato salad with a swallow of lemonade. Ken hasn't read any of it, but he knows about the journal, Hank, as I'm sure Cleo does. Do you think you found something helpful? Hank nodded. I hope so. You might get your Aunt Sarah to check the local steamboat newspaper. From their archives, there could be more photos transferred to old microfiche or other digitized articles. Online, I was only able to find information for a couple of early historical local social events, but for one special steamboat founding anniversary in the 1960s, there was a gathering of local Girl Guide members who hosted a school play to raise money for a statue. In the photograph was the mayor, your Aunt Sarah, Lois Walsh, their Girl Guide leader, the priest of St. Martin's Church, and a young church deacon named Simon Telford. Telford wasn't listed in any steamboat church, civic, or county records as staff because he was a transitional deacon. He was studying for the priesthood. I believe he might be the student Lois described in her journal. When I checked Air Force records, there was a Simon J. T. Gardner, the right age, who was in Colorado Springs. He trained, then worked as a radar specialist from the spring of 1958 to the summer of 1963 and was honorably discharged. I can't get access to any Catholic Church records either online or by phone or even by appointment in person through the Denver Archdiocese. So far, I found nothing beyond that early social community page from the Steamboat newspaper. Hank rubbed a hand across his short, salt-and-pepper, curly black hair. I typed Simon Telford into Google and Bing, but got nothing. I even called the Denver Post to see if a journalist contact I knew could get me a list of graduating Catholic priests from 1963 to 1973. He told me I could do that myself, but that any petition for information must be submitted in the form of a written request with detailed explanation. The Catholic Church is extremely private, especially given the details of the controversy they've had to sort through. Claire grinned. Well, the Catholic Church isn't completely protected from the FBI, and with a name, some journal pages, and Lois's missing persons report, I might be able to pry open something in the D.C. office. When Margaret Hawkins was transferred from Paris, she was not only promoted, she was appointed to head up an FBI division, D.C. Scene change. Whenever you have that faraway look, I get worried. Cleo tapped her husband on the shoulder. Where were you? Hank stood beside a stack of three plastic coolers. One of their sons had carried all of the coolers into the porch from the patio. Lois Walsh's journal. Professor Wool didn't move. He stared out toward Terry Lake through the corner screen. The western sun had set an hour before. Family and the last of their other guests had left soon after sunset. There was only a small amount of cleanup left since most people had folded and carried their chair in from the garden before leaving. Hank didn't turn to look at Cleo. Only Claire, her Aunt Sarah, and I have read Lois Walsh's journal. At the moment, Grace Porter and Hetty Schwartz don't even know it exists. Besides Claire, her Aunt Sarah, and me, only you and Ken know it exists. By April 1964, 
Deacon Telford had seduced 17-year-old Lois Walsh. This ends the third chapter hint for Year of the Dog. If you're left wondering how this ends, then from my website, patchworkpublishing.com or amazon.com, or actually any bookseller, you may order a copy of Year of the Dog. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you again.